0: Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Ghost Bump podcast.
1: Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 491st episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host Diane,
2: and this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're doing a
1: location that was suggested by our listener, Anna Freas, and that's the Glen Tavern Inn over there in California. <laughs> Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Oliver and Cassandra. Thank you for joining us in our Facebook group. And now, this moment, Naughtity.
2: A moment in oddity was suggested by Brandon Hawk. Queen Genepil was the last queen consort of Mongolia. She was executed by Stalinists in May of 1938 during the Soviet Union repressions of her country. Although she was queen consort for less than a year, her likeness has gone on to live through pop culture. You see, Queen Genepil, with her porcelain skin and gravity-defying hair and headpiece sculptures, inspired the creation of another queen, the Queen of Naboo. That's right, Queen Amidala of the Star Wars franchise. Actress Natalie Portman portrayed the iconic character first appearing in The Phantom Menace. Queen Amidala's garments also heavily mimic those of the Mongolian Queen. The dress, representative of Nabu tradition, becomes a statement piece throughout the film series. Although Queen Jenepil was nearly redacted from history, the fact that she inspired the style of a pop culture character that the whole world is familiar with certainly is odd.
0: Peekaboo, I see you. Yeah, you with the little thing sticking in your ears. I'm in your head right now. Those are my fingers in your brain.
2: (laughs) And now, this month in history.
1: In the month of June, on the twenty-fourth in 1895, William Harrison Jack Dempsey was born in Manassa, Colorado. He was born to Marion Hiram Dempsey and was part Irish and Cherokee, according to self-proclaimed ancestry. During his younger years, Jack worked as a farmhand, miner, and cowboy around Colorado and Utah. At the time, Dempsey's older brother earned extra money as a prize fighter. His brother was the one to truly teach Jack how to fight. From 1911 to 1916, Dempsey traveled between mining towns to box pickup fights anywhere the offer arose. He also began going by the boxing name of Kid Blackie. In 1914, Jack's prize fighting brother Bernie, who fought under the name of Jack Dempsey, fell ill, and Kid Blackie offered to fill in for him. William Harrison Jack Dempsey won the fight handily, fighting under his brother's boxing name, and he never relinquished the moniker going forward. His biggest step into boxing fame occurred on Independence Day in 1919. Jack Dempsey took on World Heavyweight Champion Jess Willard. The champion, standing at 6 feet 6 inches and weighing in at 245 pounds, was a formidable opponent to the 6 foot 1 inch, 187 pound Dempsey. However, Jack's quickness and boxing style left his opponent defeated in the third round, declaring Jack Dempsey the new World Heavyweight Champion. Dempsey successfully defended his heavyweight title five times over the next six years in what is considered one of the greatest runs in boxing history.
2: The Glen Tavern Inn is located in Santa Paula, California, and was a hotel that prospered during the California oil boom. When Prohibition was enacted, the hotel adapted as a speakeasy and brothel. People have died in the hotel and some of their spirits may still be here. A tragic flood in the city left behind spiritual residue as well. Join us as we share the history and hauntings connected to and inside of the Glen Tavern Inn.
1: Santa Paula is said to be the citrus capital of the world. The Chumash tribe was here before the Spanish arrived in 1769. Franciscan missionaries founded the San Buenaventura Mission. The city was named for the Catholic Saint Paula and was laid out by Nathan Weston Blanchard in 1872 after he bought the initial 2,700 acres. The citrus that is here was first planted by him in 1874. wonder how much of the original plantings are still there. If it's anything like our city, there's no plantings left at all.
2: Well, same thing with Corona in California. When I first moved there back in 1999, there were tons of orange groves everywhere. Now there's none. Yeah, it's pretty
1: much how it is here in Claremont. Tons of orange groves when I first moved here and they're slowly disappearing. Santa Paula was incorporated in 1902, but things didn't really take off here until the South Mountain oil field was discovered just across the Santa Clara River. The oil field reached peak production in the 1950s, but still continues to produce to this day. Kelly, we can't talk about the history of Santa Paula without discussing the St. Francis Dam disaster. The St. Francis Dam was started in August of 1924, and it wouldn't hold for long. The dam was completed in May of 1926, and less than two years later, on March 12, 1928, it broke in the middle of the night. You can't have a worse time to have something like this happen in the middle of the night when everybody's sleeping. Yeah, definitely not. And of course, they don't have some emergency broadcast system back in the 20s. A 180-foot-high wall of water consisting of 11 billion gallons of water came rushing down the San Francisco Canyon and flowed into Santa Paula. killing at least 431 people, but estimates are as high as into the 600s. The flow of water went on for four hours and traveled 55 miles until it reached the Pacific Ocean. This flood would be counted as the second worst disaster in California history. The catastrophic failure was blamed on design flaws and a defective soil foundation. Chief Engineer William Mulholland's stellar career to this point was done after this tragedy.
2: Left behind are the remnants of a blighted area in the San Francisco Canyon. The government turned a migrant camp that had been here into a public park. This was also where the cottage for the dam keeper sat. His entire family was killed along with an unknown number of migrant workers. A little cemetery on the hill holds the remains of 100 people, including a whole family ranging in ages from 8 to 30. Another grave is for a little blonde-haired boy who was found deceased wearing a cowboy outfit. It was later found out that his family had been camping and all were killed. When Western star Tom Mix heard about the little boy and his cowboy outfit, he paid for his burial. An interesting story claims that a Navajo shaman had apparently dreamed about the disaster before it happened. His people lived and worked on the ranch of film star Harry Carey Sr., who was away in New York at the time. The shaman called him and asked if it was okay if he moved his people back to the reservation for safety, and Harry agreed. The dam broke two days later.
1: I'd say it was a very good dream that he had there for sure. There are hauntings connected to the cemetery and the flood. People who try to take pictures in the cemetery usually have issues with them turning out. Videos do the same thing. A local historian was videotaping in the cemetery and everything looked like it was running good with a visible picture showing and the camera indicating that it was recording. But when he got back to town, he found the videotape was blank. He didn't give up. He returned to record for a second time, but this time his camera caught fire. What? It was like it spontaneously combusted. Whoa. The park has weird stuff going on at night, and most people try to avoid it after dark. Creepy, disembodied voices are heard, people have been touched, and shadow figures that disappear have been seen. That is really freaky when it is foggy and the shadows are
2: seen in the mist. Andrew and Joyce Ponton bought property in the area, and they have had many unusual things happen. The couple had a grown daughter, but no children living with them. So imagine Joyce's surprise when after painting an indoor door jam, she found a child's fresh handprint. The couple claimed to sometimes hear the crying of a baby at a nearby creek bed. The most bizarre thing Joyce reported was that a cast iron horse trough that was so heavy it could only be moved by a crane had moved itself several feet and completely turned around. The trough was still full of water and there were no drag marks or footprints near it. Joyce didn't believe in ghosts until that moment and she said, I have to admit, the horse trough was strange. (laughs) That's the one thing we've never been able to explain you know what i say
1: what aliens (laughs) they came over and over it moved it around at least they didn't end up with mutilated cattle
2: Ooh, this is true and on that child's handprint a man was painting his barn in the area and had the same thing happen to him with the child's handprint appearing in the wet paint there were no children on the property santa paula
1: has the largest number of historic residential and commercial buildings in ventura county One of those places is the Glen Tavern Inn. The hotel was built in 1911 in the Tudor craftsman style as designed by architects Burns and Hunt. A group of 25 local businessmen funded the building of the hotel. They put it in a prime location right across from the train depot. The hotel was two and a half stories tall and covered with a stucco facade and dark stained wood shingles. The roof had a gable dormer in the front and six gable dormers in the rear. The lobby and stairwell were craftsmen in design and decorated with heavy wood columns, wainscoting, boxed beams, and a massive stone fireplace.
2: The hotel saw a lot of traffic because the trains brought in many people due to Santa Paula's growing citrus and oil industries. The Glen Tavern Inn became a social center. It also attracted Hollywood, which found the cozy hamlet to be the perfect location for filming westerns with the vistas and hills in the background. The hotel housed many Universal Studio actors. Famous people who have stayed here include pianist Ignacy Jan Pederewski, William Jennings Bryan, John Wayne, Carol Lombard, Clark Gable, Harry Houdini, and Steve McQueen. The stars and other guests not only enjoyed the rooms, but also the restaurant and bar. The hotel was so popular, it often had issues with being able to accommodate all the people who wanted to stay. Charles Eastup bought the hotel from the city in 1919, and he converted the attic into more rooms. During Prohibition, that added third floor was converted into a speakeasy and brothel with gambling.
1: As the years progressed, Hollywood moved on and the oil industry slowed down, and so did people coming to stay at the inn. During World War II, the government was using Port Wainame as a temporary wartime naval base. They needed more space to house people, and they leased the Glen Tavern Inn from EastEp East so they could convert it into a woman's dormitory. This started in 1943 and continued through 1946. Hey, Kelly. You want to go down a rabbit hole? You first. Hello? Hello? Yes, I'm down here in the rabbit hole and I've brought you with me. The father of Port Wainami was Thomas Robert Bard. He was a founder of the Union Oil Company, which was headquartered in Santa Paula. It was called Union because it was the combining of three oil companies. The Hardison and Stewart Oil Company, the Sespe Oil Company, and the Torrey Canyon Oil Company. That headquarters building still stands and is a beautiful commercial Queen Anne-style building that houses the California Oil Museum. And despite that sounding maybe like a boring museum to visit, I've heard it's a fascinating place. Bard and his wife Molly built a mansion in Port Hueneme and they called it Barrelwood in 1912. This was designed by architect Myron Hunt. Unfortunately, Bard died in 1915. Molly stayed at the mansion until she passed in the 1930s and the home eventually became an officer's club for the new naval base. Today, the location is part of Naval Base Ventura, known as the Bard Mansion Catering and Conference Center, where they host weddings, meetings, celebrations, and business lunches. Bard and Molly love the house and have remained in the afterlife. People claim to hear disembodied whispers. Molly likes to wander the upper floor and has been captured in photos.
2: A traveling journalist named Frederick visited the mansion in 2020 and he told Backpackerverse, It was one of the worst decisions I've ever made but of course I didn't know it at the time. At the time I thought I would walk through the house, snap a few creepy photos and be done with it. But the house had other plans for me. I received a full blown tour of the house. Then I got permission to go through by myself in order to get some good photographs. I remember looking down at my camera as I walked through the hall. Something on the camera absorbed my attention and I found myself standing at the base of the stairwell. I remember I began to hear whispers. I knew that everyone else who had gone through the house with me that day were all grouped together in the kitchen, and yet the whispers were steadily pouring down from the upper level above me. Hello, I called out, and the whispering seemed to cease. Puzzled, I convinced myself that it was just an illusion because of the old ductwork, and that I was actually hearing the conversation taking place in the kitchen. I took a couple more photos and made my way through the house, only to find that the kitchen and all the rest of the house was empty. I glanced out one of the windows at the front of the house and saw that everyone who was in my group was already outside. I was in the house alone. So when I went back to the staircase and continued to hear the whispering, I became thoroughly creeped out. I looked up the landing and yelped out loud when I heard one of the stairs creak under the weight of something I couldn't see. I don't remember what I said to the group, but I booked it out of Port Wynamey then and there. After I got my photographs developed the following week, I was shocked to see this strange floating white orb that seemed to appear in all of the photos that I took by the stairwell. Very interesting.
1: All right. How are we going to get out of this thing? You know, there's one of these oil rig things
2: sitting right here. I wonder if we could get it to go fast enough, if it could maybe catapult us out of here. I don't know how we would do that, though.
0: I'm an engineer.
1: Uh, more you dig graves. You are not an engineer. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit scared.
0: What does this switch do?
2: It's going faster. I could barely hold on. Well, it was nice knowing her.
0: Well, I guess you're on your own.
2: And now a
1: little break for a word about one of our sponsors. The glory days for the inn seemed over as the train depot closed down in the 1960s. Economic development bypassed the inn and ownership started shuffling. Eventually, it became a glorified flop house and started deteriorating. Genet Investment Group came along in 2005, and they envisioned bringing the inn back to its former glory, and they spent two years renovating. The renovation hit a hiccup with a fire in 2006, but firefighters got it out quickly and the damaged part was rebuilt. In 2007, Glen Tavern Inn reopened with 36 guest rooms and a restaurant and lounge. The restoration even won some awards.
2: The Glen Tavern Inn is reputedly quite haunted and has been featured on many paranormal programs, including The Dead Files and Ghost Adventures. What is responsible for this activity? Stories are told around town that a cowboy was shot in the head after playing poker at the inn. He had been the big winner and taken all of another cowboy's weekly wages. That cowboy was angry because he thought the other man had cheated, and so he followed the big winner to his room and shot him. The hotel claims to have found evidence to support this story. A cowboy hat with a bullet hole in it was found in a crawl space, but the hat went missing at some point. People claim the cowboy's name was Calvin. Another story is told that the body of a decapitated prostitute was found in the closet of room 307. Her name was said to be Rose. In 2008, a man named Henry hanged himself in the closet of a room on the second floor. Of all those stories, the
1: only one that I know for sure actually happened is that man, Henry, who hanged himself in 2008. People who have seen Calvin the cowboy claim that the full-bodied apparition appears to be tall and thin with long hair and a goatee. He is dressed in a white shirt. People have caught him in pictures, and they know he's a ghost because he walks through walls. Other ghosts who are here include a spirit that looks out the window of room 23, a female ghost in room 104 who gives a speech complete with a toast, and the restaurant has had... (laughs) What? (laughs) I don't know what she says with the toast or if she's just holding a glass up, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe from one of the weddings there. Maybe. Maybe. And the restaurant has had spoons fly across
2: the dining room and chairs have moved by themselves. Monica De La Torre's family has owned the inn for years. Her apartment had been room 106 and she experienced something strange right after moving into the hotel. She was putting books and collectibles up on some shelves in the family room. The door to the apartment was on that wall and she saw someone enter the apartment out of the corner of her eye. Monica looked to see who it was and it was a woman in a dress from a prior era who just looked at her and turned and walked through the wall.
1: I would have dropped whatever books and collectibles I was trying to put on the shelf. I would have tried to grab a phone,
2: take some (laughs) pictures.
1: Can I help you? You seem to be in the wrong place. Psychic Patrick Smith stayed at the Glen Tavern Inn and he says he entered his room and saw a woman leaning over the bed as though she were tending to someone who was sick. He felt like he was witnessing a moment frozen in time. A housekeeper named Neria told Zach Bagans of Ghost Adventures when they investigated in 2013, that she sometimes sees what she describes as white smoke in room 307 that takes the shape of a human and then dissipates. She is nervous anytime she's in that room, and you could tell she really was afraid of the place. Billy of Ghost Adventure stayed overnight in this room without knowing anything about the stories told about it. The Ovilus said some words before he went to sleep. In the middle of the night, a light anomaly is caught on the night vision camera as it drops down from the ceiling to Billy's face, and he awakens immediately. He grabs the obelisk to see if he can communicate. The obelisk says, blow, then gentle. And then Billy feels something touching his thigh. And just as he tells the camera out loud that he felt a spasm on his thigh, the obelisk says, thigh.
2: Oh my goodness. Somebody was getting flirty with Billy. I...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And those couple of words there, blow and gentle, he's staying in the room where supposedly that woman lost her life and... Had been in the closet, so I don't know if she was offering him some services. Billy was awakened again later by a loud knock from inside the closet. And he really, I mean, he sat jolt upright and you could hear the knock. It was very loud. Something is going on with that closet. I don't know exactly what.
2: An elderly couple was staying on the second floor and they found a young girl in their room. There was a quinceañera going on at the hotel and the group had blocked off 20 rooms for the event. This couple figured that the little girl belonged to that group and they called Monica to come up and get her out from under the bed. There was nothing under the bed. On another occasion, Neria was asked by some patrons on the third floor if there was a bunch of kids staying on the second floor. They had heard them being rambunctious through the night, which made it difficult for them to sleep. No children were staying in the inn at that time. This is a common complaint of guests, hearing children running, laughing, and knocking on doors. A couple staying in room 205 were awakened one night when a young girl came into their room. They were about to get up and figure out where she belonged when she disappeared. Construction workers were doing a renovation when they witnessed a young girl running down the corridor and through a wall.
1: Amazing how many of these old hotels have these ghost children that just run wild in them laughing and knocking on doors. A very common experience, and I always wonder to myself, why are there so many supposedly dead children running around hotels? Especially this one. We don't have any stories of any children that had died there. It was a speakeasy in a brothel for a while. Clearly, there wouldn't have been children there. It's like, where are all these kids coming from? Are they connected to the flood somehow and they've just gathered here together? Could be. Ghost Adventures conducted a seance in the lobby with psychic Patrick Smith. They were joined by actress Britt Morgan. I think she was on True Blood or something like that. And she had investigated room 307 in the past. She said that they heard a knock from inside the closet, which matched up with what happened to Billy. And you could see as she was sharing stories with them that he went, he like put his hand up like, yeah, that happened to me too. Britt heard loud voices in the hallway around 2.30 a.m. When she looked out the door, she found an empty hallway. As the group is getting ready to conduct the seance, they hear the whistling of a little girl coming from upstairs. They hear the same little girl during the seance a few times, singing and crying. After they break the circle to start investigating, the ovelist said, girl. The owner, Monica, was part of the seance, and she claimed to be getting messages in her mind about a little girl named Emily who was killed in room 220. The spirit box later would answer the name Ingrid when they asked what the little girl's name was. When Zach asked who she was, they get Mejita over the box. That is Spanish for little lady. I thought that was really interesting. It's clear as day. And they were like, wait, that was Spanish. What does that mean? And I mean, when you're getting girl on the Ovilus and then the spirit box says little lady.
2: Paula wrote in 2016, I always wanted to stay at the Glen Tavern Inn since watching Ghost Adventures a few months ago. So on Memorial Day weekend, my boyfriend and I decided to take a trip to the Glen Tavern Inn in Santa Paula. I managed to book room 307, which is supposed to be the most haunted room. We arrived kind of late around 8 p.m. Upon checking in we asked about our room and was told that the third floor is still all original and not remodeled. Upon entering the room a slight chill came over us and there was the notorious haunted closet where the woman was murdered. I eventually fell asleep while my boyfriend continued to hear noises coming from the haunted closet for about 30 minutes. The room was clean, staff very friendly, and I think we will be returning to the Glen Tavern Inn at some point soon. In the a.m., we went into the closet, and I managed to get some very creepy EVPs that blew us away. If you're looking for a hotel and cemetery to ghost hunt, it's worth your while to request room 307. I also caught a couple of orbs, one on floor 3 and the other at the top of the stairwell on floor 3 heading down to the second floor.
1: Jack Osborne brought his mom Sharon along to investigate the Glen Tavern Inn for an episode of Night of Terror. The big news coming out of that was that Sharon was hospitalized while filming the show. Apparently, she passed out. Nobody is sure why. I don't know if she had some other medical issue going on or if something in the inn overwhelmed her. We don't believe that episode has been released. I looked around for it and all I could find were all the news stories about Sharon being hospitalized or rushed to the hospital. Dead Files investigated the property in 2014 and Amy claimed to see some powerful entities on the third floor. One sinister shadow figure gave her the impression that it gets pleasure from killing women. Now I don't know if this is whoever dispatched the sex worker or if this is something else because again we don't even know that that actually is a true story. There's nothing to back it up. The main gist of her and Steve's investigation centered more on the Janet family who owned the property at that time and the strong connection matriarch Rosanna had with it. Her daughter Gabriella was worried about that connection. Rosanna admitted being obsessed with renovating the hotel. She felt the hotel needed her. And Steve was asking her about, you know, why are you so connected to this place that you just can't leave? Because she showed him pictures where they have this beautiful home in Malibu. And he's like, you have a beautiful home to live in. Why are you just like staying here? So I don't know if it was dramatized for the show, probably.
2: Many people stay at the hotel without any issues. Others stay here with the specific goal of interacting with spirits. And they usually do. Is the Glen Tavern Inn haunted?
1: That, that is, is for you to, you to decide. decide. Well, if any of you visited there, let us know what your experiences were. Sounds like there's some stuff going on there, especially in that room 307. And of course, they probably charge more for that room because it's got the haunted reputation. <laughs> probably. Probably. We'd love to have you check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We did get a message from Janae that she had an interesting synchronicity, as happens with so many of our listeners. So she would written me because she's one of our supporters, and I needed to get information about sending her out her free t-shirt, which our $10 and above get every year an annual free t-shirt. So she said, just wanted to point out a silly and fun synchronicity, You asked me to make sure that you have my current address yesterday and today you dropped the episode about the Palace of Versailles. I live in Versailles, Indiana. (laughs) Happens all the time. The show is thick with synchronicities. It certainly is. I want to thank all of you for joining us for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers.
0: Dispatches from the Grave Digger.
1: We want to welcome into the cemetery, Carrie Ball. Mort's going to be burying you
2: under an obelisk tombstone. Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump.
0: You can find History Goes Bump on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Google Play, and anywhere you can listen to podcasts.
1: missionaries founded the San Buenaventure Nision San Buenaventure Nision the city was named the San Buenaventura mission
2: <laughs> little typo there just Nician, a, just a little typo and I'm like what's, what's a Nisim? Nision? Nision? I don't know <laughs> a word. Uh, maybe it
0: was, it was a definitely typed key. by a
2: special person Oh so, well you are very special <laughs>
1: They came hovered over it and moved it around.
2: Them and they're hovering while they're hovering.